Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. My mother was pregnant with me. A party of Klansmen on horseback surrounded our house in Omaha, Nebraska. They brandished guns and shouted for my father to come out. My mother went to the door where they could see her pregnant condition and told them that my father was in Milwaukee preaching. He's in Milwaukee preaching. Now these hooded Klansmen said the good white Christians would not stand for his troublemaking and to get out of town. every window with their rifle butts before riding off into the night. They rode off into the moonlight on their horses as suddenly as they had come. Then there was the case of Mrs. Reed, Mary Ruth Reed. She was, I think, seven or eight months pregnant. And this man, white man, came to her house and he was first he tried to get her to go to bed with him and she resisted and he beat her started attacking her the struggle went into the field between two houses and her white neighbor saw uh, medlin beating her and pulling at her clothing and ran out um and uh and she and her children were fighting with him and the white woman came out and she saw what had happened and uh, uh, he, he eventually left uh, without having raped her but he had tried so what had happened was that during this time some men in the community this woman also had some brothers had three or four brothers and the men in our God said that we should kill this man Rob said, no, 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 let's let the law handle it. So, and he really, Rob really believed in the law during those days. They brought this man, Louis Medlin, the white man, brought his wife and set him at his side. All during the time the trial was on it. His lawyer got up and said, Judge, Your Honor, this man is not guilty, but he was just drinking having a little fun. So you see this woman sitting here at his side? This is the pure flower of life, God's greatest gift to man, this white woman. And do you think that he would leave this pure flower of life for that? And so 
That was the end of the trial. They found him not guilty and dismissed the case. At that point, every black woman in the courtroom was in tears and angry and ready to do something. And they took uh, the accuser out the back door. They took them out the back door. And when we all met down where Rob was, uh, and he saw what our condition was and how and one woman said, you, these people have uh, declared open season on black women. What can, what are you going to say now? What are we going to do now? City police in Chicago um, murdered Fred Hampton. It had happened apparently about four o'clock in the morning on the December 4th. I didn't hear about it until 6 o'clock that night because I wasn't in town. And they popped this picture up on the screen. Actually, two pictures, one of Fred Hampton and one of Mark Clark. And uh, I was just stunned. I was staring at the screen and I realized I was crying. They shot that place up in ways you couldn't believe. His wife, pregnant, pregnant, shot up in the bed there. She survived, as did the fetus, but Fred's body was riddled. The walls of the room riddled. You could count scores of bullet holes there. He never got out of the bed. He was murdered right there. 2.30 in the morning, they claim they're serving a search warrant. But don't we know anything about human rights? You don't serve a search warrant at 2.30 in the morning. You don't come crashing in with guns blazing and kill people or sleep in their beds in the United States of America, or do you? The government raided every Panther's house, especially the ones who they felt like could do the most damage as an orator. So they just burst in and put a gun to my mother's head. He said, don't move, because you're under arrest. They treated them like less than human. My mother was pregnant with me while she was in prison. She was her own attorney, never been to law school. She was facing 300 and something odd years. One black woman pregnant beat the case. That just goes to show you the strength of a black woman and the strength of the oppressed. And a month after she got out of prison, she gave birth to me. So I was cultivated in prison. My embryo was in prison. Did you see that girl walk down the street with the braids and she was crying? She see me in the street, don't say nothing. I wish she would have said something. I would have gave that bitch a brand new face with this mouth. She said something. She ain't even no competition. That's why I wouldn't even fight her again. She wasted my motherfucking time and breath. I could have been eating a sandwich right then and there. That girl fucked with the wrong person. She trying to set me up. She knows she's pregnant. She'll get me locked up. I went to jail one time. You don't want to be over no that. No, you don't want to be over no jail for no petty ass shit. Oh, you damn turning thief, yeah.
context of white supremacy, justice, Gusty Renegade, in for another broadcast, uh, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy racism. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the broadcast. Today's date, Monday, May 7th. 2012, so I have been told. Uh, We will be back uh, several times this week. Uh, The Urugu study session, that will be this Friday, Friday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Dr. Marimba Ani, uh, first 50 pages this Friday. Uh, Today's broadcast, we are so thankful we could reschedule. We attempted to have this program a couple weeks back and had some sort of interference um, strange things happen when you are attempting to combat racism, white supremacy. That should be expected. Persevere. Uh, thankfully, we were able to reschedule and uh, really excited about the program. Uh, our guest for today's broadcast, uh, she is a certified midwife as well as the president and founder of the International Center for Traditional Childbearing. Uh, you can check out their website. It is I-C-T-C-Midwive.org. It is in the chat room. should be in the description as well. I will say it again for folks who might not have access. I-C-T-C-Midwive.org. You can check out all of the great work that they're doing resources, training, lots of fantastic information. I'll read a bit from their mission statement. Uh, The ICTC is a black infant mortality prevention, breastfeeding promotion, and midwife training not-for-profit organization. The mission of ICTC is to increase the number of black midwives, doulas, birth companions, and healers to empower families in order to reduce infant and maternal mortality. I'm skipping down a little bit. Uh, We look to African-American midwives who live among the people both to provide that care and to advocate for our rights in the healthcare system. ICTC is committed to the health and life of mothers and their children. We are committed to challenging the many barriers to the health of black women. When we as people know our history, our self-esteem is raised, and thereafter, health care and consciousness improve. In returning to the ancient art of midwifery, we are no longer succumbing to overwhelming systemic racism. We are taking our health into our own hands. Joining us live also in the Pacific Northwest, a uh, real pleasure to have her on the broadcast, uh, Miss. Shafia M. Monroe. Uh, Ms. Monroe, are you with us? I'm with you. Thank you, Gus. Thank you. Uh, as I said, real pleasure to have you on the broadcast. Um, for any of our folks, they might not have visited the website, um, just to give them a better idea of the work that you do and what ICTC is all about, if you could share some of that background, that would be outstanding. Thank you, Gus, again for giving myself for the organization, the International Center for Attritional Childbearing, a.k.a. blackmidwives.org, to uh, explain why the work that we do is so essential, um, not just here but throughout the African diaspora. And so basically 30 years ago, that's when I became a midwife, I lived in Roxbury, Massachusetts. I won't give the year. But during that time, I heard the word infant mortality 
had never heard that word and looked it up and found out that it meant the death of babies, babies who die before age one. So that was upsetting just in general. But then when I learned that more black babies in America, since our arrival here uh, as an enslaved people or a captured people, that our babies had the highest death rate of any race. So we are burying our babies, our children, our community babies, our future, before they even see their first birthday. So I was, uh, you know, being a product of my family, uh, an action-oriented family, if you see a problem, fix it. I want to see what I could do. Being born on the East Coast with all of the mecca of institutions, Harvard, Boston College, et cetera, but yet we still have had all these black babies dying, I wanted to be very proactive. And the next thing I learned about was midwives. And then again, was excited to find that, oh, there were black midwives that came, you know, freed women as well as women who were captured and came to the United States with skills and knowledge and how to help women be healthy, have babies, and began researching that and realized not only did black midwives help babies, they actually helped the village. They actually helped the entire black community. They actually helped the women who had been raped, the men who had been whipped. They helped with the dying. They helped with six children. They were um, pivotal in the survival of our race as enslaved people and continued during Jim Crow. So once you know, the freedom was proclaimed, you still could not go to hospitals. You still could not see a doctor. You were still in abject poverty. You know, who helped the women when they were pregnant and breastfeeding and, and ill and those type of things? It, it was the black midwife who continued that work. And then later we get into the late uh, 1950s where the black midwife was eradicated in the southern states when they brought in the white medical system into the south to get women to go to hospitals, they had to eradicate the black midwives. So that's why now you don't really hear about a lot of black midwives in the United States of America anymore, unlike maybe Africa or Jamaica and other places. But um, overall, we have been pretty much pushed uh, silent, but we began rising back up again in the early 70s to late 80s, which is when I was called to become a midwife and got excited about the history met other black women my age at the time who wanted to do something around the country, and we formed the organization Child Providers of African Descent, our first group where we met nationally to get the word back out that our babies are dying, that black midwives have always existed, we still exist. And to be honest, you know, Gus, I'm so proud to feel like the ancestors called me to say, you know, carry, carry the torch, Shafia, you know, don't let it die. So I've spent the last 30 years just going around the country, letting people know what black midwives did, why we still need to use them, and why we need more black women to be midwives so that we can continue being among our people, uh, teaching our traditions. Because very interesting, women who are born in Africa, who come to America, their babies do not die like African-American-born babies, which shows that them having their traditional culture actually protects them. Second generation, they have the exact same health, disparities and problems as African-Americans. But when they first come, first generation, they don't suffer the same way. And so we know that black midwives are needed to reunite our traditions and to uh, bring the black men also. Very exciting. There's a book called um, The Anthology of, of Mothering, written by actually a white American anthropologist who studied the remains of Lucretia Perryman, a black midwife who remains are found in Mobile, Alabama. And I read that book. I encourage you to read that book. It's a great book. She did a great job. She said the black midwife was a businesswoman, but also was the person that kept beauty very prominent for black women, making them feel good about themselves, and was also the most instrumental 
and keeping the black men involved in the birth process. We hear now, well, you know, black men aren't involved. Well, that's not true because the men that I know who are involved with their families, and I'm the midwife, they are involved. So I like the fact that she recognized that and wrote about it in a very proactive way about the role and the powerful role of the black midwife. Wow. The Anthology of Mothering. Check that out, folks. Um, I know some of the research that I was doing for the program, uh, did I hear correctly you said that one of the motivating factors as to why you began uh, ICTC was that in the United States you were seeing that it wasn't black females who were participating in being midwives. It was white women. Uh, is that correct? True. And actually my own story, when I did decide that I wanted to help and I wanted to be a midwife, one uh, another motivating factor that had me push to, to organize black women I had a very challenging time finding mainstream during the uh, early early 80s and late 70s. Well, I'll say more early 80s, late 80s. I could not find um, women who wanted to train me who were not of my same ethnicity. So when the white women were meeting, they were polite, but they weren't inclusive. And I said, well, let me just go ahead and find some black women who can help me. And so I just, you know, stood on the corner, literally stood on the corner asking any black woman walk by, are you a midwife, are you a midwife? And finally, I found a lady from the Congo, I found a woman from Ghana, and two from Alabama, and they actually trained me. And then from there, we organized, and now we are worldwide, and we have memberships throughout, throughout the world, literally. Wow, wow. Um, I also, in checking out some of your material, uh, I saw where you were talking about this was a deliberate act. I know a lot of times we talk on this program about racism, white supremacy, and things that happen to black people. Is this done consciously, or is this something that is done uh, where the racists are not aware, uh, where you were saying it was a conscious, deliberate act to eradicate black midwives in the United States? Can you touch on that a bit? Well, you know, I think when I say a deliberate act, they want to eradicate midwifery in general because at that time uh, medicine was dominated by white men, patriarchal European system, so they wanted to uh, make more money because, you know, fortunately and unfortunately medicine is about money and people having babies pay. So the more pregnant people you have, the more money you're going to make. You don't want to compete with midwives. And so they had the witch burning in Europe. So they're burning their, their, they were burning white women in Germany um, you know, the early 18th century, a lot called them witches. They were actually midwives. Africa did not have that experience, nor did black midwives physically go through that. That's not part of our culture. But because this is a male, white-dominated profession, obstetric at the time, they wanted all midwives to stop of any race. But in particular, they were strongest um, on eradicating black midwives because there were more of us because no one else had taken care of us. We had built a real culture uh, from enslavement, right after, you know, the Civil War and straight through Jim Crow and straight into the 50s, we were still taking care of ourselves. So they had to work a little bit harder to end it, and, and they did. And so now, um, like I said, you can't really find – well, I have a, a book that says in 1940, there were like, you know, close to 9,000 black midwives in Georgia. And now, uh, 2012, there's probably 12. So, and in some states, there are no black midwives at all. However, there are white midwives in almost every single state in this country, in this country, but not, but not for black women. So that's why we put on our annual Black Midwives and Heels Conference. Just the word, you know, Black Midwives and Heels Conference, to bring attention on a national level that oh, black midwives, what a concept! And for so many women, 
they don't know what midwives are and what they do, or they think of a middle-class white American woman, or, unfortunately, even worse, they think of an old, uneducated, uh, I won't say old, but an uneducated black woman called a granny midwife, and they don't want to deal with it because the system said, oh, you know, these black women who are midwives are dirty and they're dangerous, and they did a lot of propaganda to churn black families against the black midwife. And so we are still working with that same remnants to this day. We're still talking to black women like, oh, I don't want no midwife, you know, are they trained? Just don't know anything because that was a whole movement to eradicate it. So yes, it was deliberate. They did use um, uh, advertisement, billboards, um, just different things. Wow. Context of white supremacy. Uh, if you all have questions you'd like to ask, the number to dial is 760-569- Seven six seven six, and the code is five six four nine four three pound. If you have any questions to ask, uh, Miss Shafia M Monroe, um, can you talk about uh, how increasing the number of black midwives how that would have a direct impact on working against racism, white supremacy? Could you repeat that question for me, please? Yes, ma'am. Uh, how your organization and the effort to increase the number of black midwives, how that would have a direct impact on working against racism, white supremacy? Well, it would, it would have an impact. For one, it, when, you, when you work with black midwives who have an African-centric centric approach and know the history of, of healing from black perspective and, and are proud of who they are, which is what our, what our organization is about, they're going to empower the families um, in their communities. So things where we have, um, and I have to talk about it, as uncomfortable as we have to talk about uh, our, our sisters who are being pregnant and then they wind up without having their partner. That's really not an African tradition. You know, most Africans I see who are born um, in Africa tend to have the significant other there to take care of them. And they're also very much reverent when they're pregnant. So when I talk to women who are African-born, they're very excited about being pregnant. A baby is a blessing. It's an ancestor. It's all types of things, depending on their tribal belief. And the fathers are excited, and they see themselves having a role to take care of it. That, of course, was, was broke down with enslavement. So we have a higher rate of women parenting by themselves, which is a fulfillment of our not surviving, because you can't do it by yourself, which is one reason why we have a high infant mortality rate most postpartum depression, and less breastfeeding in our race. Even though we used to breastfeed, we're not doing it now. So by having, a black, having more black midwives, what I'm speaking, they're also speaking in their community. And when you have people who are educated, you know, in this same um, lifestyle and knowledge and leadership, then we love our communities and we take the extra time to go talk to the young men, the young women, the older men, the older women that, you know, we are in a crisis that can be eliminated by, us becoming more healthy and looking at our options, even how we eat. You know, we don't have to eat McDonald's. Even with the, even with the smallest income, we can still go old school. The, the soul food, soul food not being pork and uh, um, kale, but soul food being the African soul food of wet foods and the yams and the okra and the beans and the plantain and, and those types of foods, you know, and, and the mango and the pineapple, the things that keep – our brothers looking so gorgeous on the content. They're straight bodies and their beautiful white teeth and their healthy skin. You know, this is part of how we're going to eradicate white supremacy where we don't think you're qualified to exist as a black person. You know, you're not needed. You're not valued. Your baby's not valued. So you can die before age one. 
your family's not valued. So we're saying, no, that's not true. But looking at yourself as a, uh, a valued person and hearing that from the black midwife, I don't know how many, you know, uh, non-black midwives, even doctors tell a black woman how beautiful she is, how important she is, how, and tell the black, you know, you're so needed, you're so reverent, you know, what a great role that your baby can hear your voice before it's born. It can hear you drum. When, it, when it's born, it's going to look for you. They need to hear that while they're praying, not just go in and get an ultrasound and, and pee in a cup and go home. That's not going to do it. We have to go the extra step and bring our culture back into how we grow a baby. You grow a baby like you grow a plant. You water your plant, you talk to your plant, you change the dirt, you nurture it, you cultivate it. Why is human life any different? Wow. Wow. You, uh, I've heard you talk as well, and you were just touching on it, how on the continent uh, a pregnant black female is revered and the the child is celebrated and it's a a wonderful thing and what a contrast that is you talked about even when you were pregnant that the response was oh gosh are you going to keep the child are you going to have an abortion oh god and just that seems to be a pattern the way that when black females are pregnant it is not something to celebrate at all and the detrimental impact that that yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One thing we say about that: if you were brought here to produce to sell your children, then you have this two things, and I can't prove it yet with my research. But one, and we know for a fact, we loved our children. We tried to hide our children. We don't know how many mothers were beat down and killed trying to prevent their child from being sold. At the same time, when you know that's going to happen to your child, you also can put a guard up where it's hard to get too close. You know, you may not be able to keep it. So that could be part of the issue of why our parenting is so different. We have post-traumatic stress in raising our children. It's very much enslavement style, such as shut up, I'm going to whip you, you ain't nothing. We still have people talk to their children like that today, 2012. That's absolutely can be traced to the same talk on the plantation, shut up, you ain't nothing, I'm going to whip you. That is enslavement talk from the so-called owner that I call the, actually, the terrorists. If you want to talk about terrorists, those are the terrorists, you know, terrorizing pregnant women and, and little babies and little children and their, and their fathers. But... Um, in Africa, because they didn't have that, you have, and I've talked to so many women, I do anthropology, and, and the women, the stories from, from Africa, you know, you have the baby, you stay home for three months, the entire women clan come, they feed you, they massage, they physically give you showers, some tribes, they smoke your body, you wear the family gold, there's, there's so many rituals around your baby for health and how you name them. It's a big deal to have many, but here, because you couldn't keep them, we've been taught that, oh, we have too many children, and the whole myth of the so-called welfare uh, queen, as a people, we bought into it. Oh, why are you having another one? Well, why not? You, you, you have two children. Oh, my God, what would you think as opposed to congratulations? So it's hard to be pregnant in America as a black woman when you don't have support, and often the father himself is not even being happy about it. So unlike, again, on the continent and other parts of the world, everyone's happy. The grandmother, I mean, there's a new baby coming on. It's really huge. So as black midwives in America, we make sure that we um, incorporate our traditional belief system around celebrating birth. And having trained midwives for 30 years and full circle do a birth companions, when we're through with the training, they see it very differently, and they actually act very differently, and they feel better, and they support their neighbors better. Um, they, you know, the women say, oh, I took them took your training. They were so nice to me. They congratulated me. They, they gave me food. I mean, things like that, you know, feeding pregnant people. This is normal in other parts of it, but here it's like, you know, you just eat, and you just don't really think about she needs more calories to to grow the child, or she needs more cows to, to, to make human milk to feed the baby. So we have um, a lot of work to do still. Mm. And then we're fighting the media that shows everyone's anorexic, 
um, not black, um, not having children. If they do, it's a crisis all the time. So you have this constant fear being perpetuated around birth. And so our job is, our job is a challenge, what we do. Absolutely, absolutely. Some of the things that, you know, I think having, um, again, the conference this year is called Returning Power to Birth, Reclaiming mm-hmm. Our Culture. And we, you know, with our membership around the country, we have our state reps and we kind of, you know, but what was most important, we felt that if women, and not, one thing, another thing about the black midwife that's different, so the English word for midwife means with woman. So they focus on the women of the European tradition. But when I researched the word midwife in Africa, the different languages, it's really not a word per se in it. And we did get the interpretation. It means more so spiritual healer. And so the midwife really from our community, she helped everybody. She didn't just help the women. So I want to, I want to make sure that the men understand that a midwife also, a black mother also who's trained with the African-centered training, definitely includes the man and also the entire family because the whole concept is what? It takes a village to raise a child. That really is true. That really is an African tradition, and that really is an African action. And so when I say um, midwife, we don't mean with women from the English. We really mean with family. The black midwife really births the foundation of the community. She supports the whole structure because we know from science and evidence that when a community does not support the family or the woman, it breaks down and the babies don't live and the mothers get depressed and the fathers can't hang. So I want to say we want to say retrain power to birth because the power comes and knowing your history, you know, validating and being able to speak up for yourself. You know, I, I, don't, I want a certain kind of treatment. I don't want a cesarean section. And also trusting your body. There's so much fear around pregnancy in this country that women are afraid to even think that they can have a baby uh, naturally. They're afraid to even think that they even might be pregnant. They don't know uh, their body. And the father often has a lot of fear. He sees birth as this, you know, really scary thing. So returning power to birth, there is a powerful aspect of birth that even is beyond so much physically birthing the baby, which is also powerful, but also the unseen energy that is transmitted when a person goes through what her body goes through to bring forth new life. And the other part, reclaiming our culture, part of the problems I mentioned, part of our problems is that we don't know our culture, and that's why we're birthing outside of our, our African tradition, just having our babies, not breastfeeding, you know, uh, not tying them on our back, I hate to say I walk down the street and I do travel in the country. It's getting better, but I see too many children, two and three and four, running behind their parents. You know, black mothers and fathers not holding their children's hands. As opposed to I see Mexicans, you know, babies are, are tied on their back. Or I see, you know, the Caucasian, they got their babies in the, in the little sling. And so, again, in Africa, the baby goes from the birth canal to the breast to the back. How they hit the ground. They say babies in Africa don't, don't cry that their cognitive skills are superior to almost any baby because there's so much touch and love by the mother and the other women and the other men and the drumming and the music that they um, they develop very nicely. And so we want to reclaim our culture around birth, getting rid of the fear of birth, believing that we can have babies, always have, believe that we're capable as, as a black race to take care of ourselves and to do for self, and that's what ICTs is about. We need to have black midwives who can go into their community, who know their people, aren't afraid of their people, and approach them and give them what a lot of us don't know, choices, information, uh, evidence-based, facts, be a listening ear, and all that. If we're going to see um, our babies stop being buried before age one, 
We want to see the reduced incarceration of our young men and our young women. We want to see less domestic violence. Uh, our children learning well in school, all that the black and white does, not just the birth. They are a continuum of that baby's um, development because, again, as, as you read, who lives among the people because black midwives live among the people. So when I help a family, I'm not traveling 10 miles. As much, unless you live in a rural area, it's different because we live in the south. People are much further away. But even then, as I talked to a couple of men from the south from, who, uh, years ago, I said, so you was born at home? Say, yep. How was your midwife? Oh, you know, I started at church. I started at the picnics. Even though they might have been rural, they said they saw their midwife all the time. And I said, what else do you remember about your midwife? So my midwife knew when I was sick. Even as an adult, he, she knew when I was sick. I said, well, how does she know? He said, well, how do you think she knew? She was my midwife. I said, okay, I got that. So um, there's just a whole connection um, about being the midwife um, in your community, being a community midwife. You know the people and you love the people. And love heals. It's not, it's not just a job. You, you care about the people. You know, you're on a mission. You have a calling. It's a spiritual calling. And so many of the midwives, if you look at the literature and research some of the literature of the uh, grand midwives or the granny midwives, we call them the grand midwives, so many said, I was called. That's where they use I was called by God or I had a dream or, um, you know, I kept being left with women having their babies. I just find, you know, was told I should do this work. Uh, my midwife from Ghana who helped me have my children, I have seven children, I asked her, what, what made you be a midwife? She said, well, when I was, you know, at home in, in, in Ghana, in Accra, whenever this lady came to the village, people would run to her and throw cloth at her and put the babies in her arms, and she asked her mother at a young age, like nine, who is that lady? And she told her, she's the one who helps the babies come. And she said, then at nine, I want to be like her. And so she, she became a midwife, and she helped me have my babies and helped teach me. So there's a legacy, there's a tradition, and, and midwives, black midwives, they emulate um, something special. I mean, it's, it's special to have life come in the world. You're not, you're not a regular person. It's not a regular job. In fact, I don't think it is a job, really. So that's wow. my thing about black midwives. Wow. Context of white supremacy. Again, the address if you want to get more information, uh, blackmidwives.org, uh, or you can do uh, ITC, excuse me, IC. TCMidwives.org, either or. Great information. Yeah, or just Google Black Midwives and we'll probably come up. There you go. Yeah, uh, what's some of the what's some of the information or suggestions you would give to black fathers, like essential things that black fathers, attempted fathers, should be doing to nourish uh, both their partner and the coming child? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Gus. Thank you. Uh, I have sons. My sons are young adults. You know, they have children. Uh, some are married. Some were married, et cetera. And I work with, of course, many, many families over the years. And so one observation I have been looking at, again, going back to the family structure and African traditions and even old Southern traditions, families were involved often when you chose a partner. You know, you had to go to someone's house. You had to ask permission to marry someone's daughter, to court someone's daughter. You sat on the porch, you know, um, and I'm not going to say right or wrong, but we had a lot of movements in our country around, you know, um, free love and, you know, do what you want. And, and, and even, you know, young girls leaving the home early using the, the, the American system called welfare. They could actually move out of the house and get their own place at 17 and 16 because they had a baby. And, and so, to be honest, I, I think we need to relook at that because what I'm finding for the young men, um, as I tell the young men that I know, if you're going to lay with someone, 
you have to know that if, that if they have your child and that you die, that they're, that they're someone that you want, that you would want to raise your child. When I talk to a lot of men, they say, I, don't, I wouldn't want her to have my baby, but yet she's pregnant by you. As I ask the young men and the young women out there, before you even get in a relationship, ask yourself, do I want to have a child with this person? That, that's the risk, whether you use a condom or not, birth control or not. Um, this is about procreation. It's about love and expression that, that produces love, which is the child as a rule. Not always, but that was the rule. People got together. They loved each other. They want to replicate themselves. They had babies. So we're not there. And so because I'm asking these young men, well, you know, she's pregnant. Well, I don't like her. And that's just that. the women, too. They say, well, I'm having pregnant, but I don't want to talk to him anymore. I, I, I don't need him. And I say, well, you know, the baby has rights, too. The baby has a right to both his parents. And I tell the young men and the young women or the older men, the old women, if you don't like each other and you say you love the unborn, your child, you have to respect each other. You have to help each other out. You have to find a way to learn how to communicate at the minimum for the child's sake, not arguing in front of the child, not putting each other down in front of the child, you know, keeping your biases about the, the person who is related to the child to yourself, you know, and don't speak. I hear so many people have the children feeling so upset that either parent's no good or you're trifling. The child should not have to hear those type of things. That's cruel and unusual punishment for, uh, for a child because the child loves both. You know, it loves both, and you have to poison its mind to make a choice, and that's not fair. So you made a decision, unless you were raped, you made a decision to be with that person, deal with it, and keep your feelings about what they're doing and not doing with an adult and not in front of the child. Fathers have an obligation to make sure that mothers can produce breast milk, which means that they have to make sure that mother eats. If she's not speaking to you, leave grocery on her steps. Slide a check in the door. Give, give it to a friend if it's that bad. But it is the obligation of the father to make sure the mother can produce milk to feed her child because you can't make breast milk without food. And if you want your child to drink formula as a father or as a mother or even as a grandparent, um, that's pretty frightening because the, the formula is genetically engineered. And this is kind of harsh. I tell people, you know, would I give my child gasoline? I don't know what's in gasoline. And I can't, as Dick Gregory said, if you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't be eating it. And if you read the amount of chemicals in the formula, uh, I'd be afraid to give it to my child. Unless you have a medical reason that you cannot breastfeed, it's very, very serious about our community, black, the black community, taking breastfeeding as a, as a God-given right, as a political right. You want to talk about um, white supremacy or racism? We can control something. We can control what goes in our baby's mouth. No, we can't blame them for that. You have breasts. No one can stop them from feeding your baby with them. That's the choice that you're making, and you need to make it to do that and not give chemicals, which is formula that you didn't make, that's made by manufacturers, probably not people from your, from your race who really don't care about any baby. It's about money. Give it to your child. They're more prone for obesity, asthma. Uh, they're constipated. They're sick. It's just bad. You know, it's really, really bad. When your milk is perfect, it's always sterile. It's always warm. It's always clean. It makes your child stronger, less infection. It also makes you have to hold your child. If you are under stress as a people because of systemic racism, you're stressed out, uh, you just can't even deal. Actually, by breastfeeding, it releases hormones that can help you to relax better, but it makes you stop and bond and hold your child. And again, looking at African tradition, they stop, they breastfeed, they walk, they breastfeed, their child's on their back. And that's why the child is so happy and do well because the mother's always holding it. And who doesn't want to be held? That's why we got pregnant. Somebody wanted to be held. So obviously, if an adult likes it, of course the child's going to like it. So for fathers, please do not deny yourself of your power in your child's life. Your baby can actually hear your voice when he's in the womb. They, they recognize the voice. They did, they did studies on that. When the baby's born, he looks first for the mother's voice, 
second for the father's voice, third for any female in the room. So they know your hands, you know, sing to your baby, talk down to the uterus and say, hey, you know, I'm here, I'm your dad. You know, rub the mother's stomach, and you'll feel the baby will recognize your hand and kick, and you can kind of play with them and wake them up. You can rub them to sleep. I mean, they're alive, and they hear and they feel. So you have a lot of influence over your baby. And, uh, and find a black midwife. And even if your partner, even if your woman doesn't want to go to a midwife, you're still going to talk to a midwife and say, hey, you know, I'm having a baby. Would you talk to me and give me some ideas of what I can do to be supportive? You know, what can I expect? Uh, you know, get engaged. Get books. Watch videos. Ask questions. Take responsibility. You know, make it happen. Protect, protect your child. And you can't protect the baby if you're not protecting your woman. Wow. Outstanding information. Uh, I'll give out the phone number again. Folks have questions, 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. If you dial that line, press... Uh, if you dial that line, press star six if you have a question. If you're on the talk to you line, star eight. Did you have a comment, uh, Ms. Monroe? I, I did. I want to see, you know, I, want to, I know that your, your, your um, show is about white supremacy, and I want to talk about the, um, the, uh, the Zimmerman case, you know, with the young brother who yes, was you know, killed and shot down, and the impact that that kind of thing makes on black women, on the black community. And one of the reasons why infant mortality is so high in the black community is that there's five reasons. One is, is genetic defect. That for different reasons, a lot of black babies are born, um, that when they're conceived, they have a genetic problem that makes them not live to be one, often a heart problem, so that's no one's fault. You can't, you know, you can't blame anyone for that. The next reason is premature birth. It takes 40 weeks to have a baby, anywhere from 38 to 42, to be full term, to be at least six pounds and something ounces. A lot of babies are being born at 27, 28, and 30. They're being born at three pounds. They're living in an incubator with a tube and... Um, though they may live, the, the rate of blindness, deafness, mental t- retardation, ADD, and cerebral palsy is very high. So that's one reason black women don't carry their babies to 38 weeks. The other reason is called low birth weight. So the minimum a baby should weigh is 5 pounds, 8 ounces. If you went full term the whole nine months, your baby should, should weigh at least 5 pounds, and that's on the low end, 8 ounces. But our babies are staying at 4 pounds. So the smaller the baby is, the more prone it is for illness. And the um, other reason for death is SIDS, sudden infant death or sudden infant unexplained death. Babies just die in the sleep. They're doing different reasons, secondhand smoke, mattresses, um, accidents, babies falling out the beds, being suffocated by, by um, accident. But the other one that we're looking at is called systemic racism. They're doing studies that women, um, and I'll say just the black race in general, by being bombarded with daily oppression, daily challenges, it, it wears on you. You know, more migraines, more anger, more hypertension, more just want to go sit down and just eat a whole bunch of sugar because it makes you feel good. So as a result of it, women have a lot of stress, and so they're not carrying their babies full term. So, again, being a mother, being a black midwife, having helped so many young men and women come into the world um, and knowing their families, it's a tragedy. As you know, across the country, I try to tell my white um, peers and others that when I hear a shooting anywhere in the country, I just shut down because that was my son whether I knew him or not, because that's the African way. And also, not only that, it could have been my son. And so, as Mr. Farrakhan said, you can't run from it. You can move to the suburbs, you can move downtown, but look at this young man. He was in a gated area, 
near his family's house, and he still got killed because that's the racism. So that racism really impacts black women who are pregnant. You know, and they did a study after 9-11 when all the um, people started hating uh, Middle Eastern people because of 9-11, they saw the same type of infantility rate increase for Arab women. The same thing happened for women who were Jewish in concentration camps. When you're living every day with hate and oppression and negativity, you cannot grow a baby. So that's what black midwives also talk about. And we look at policy, President Obama, the governors of our state, uh, Medicaid, and anything else saying, you know what, the systemic racism is killing our babies, and it needs to stop. You need to fund black midwives, fund our communities, do what you need to do so that we can um, get away from this kind of stress. So for, for women who are pregnant right now, just had a baby, they need a lot of support. They don't, they don't even know why they feel uptight right now, but because someone got killed, and there's no justice for it. So we're all carrying the anger, but if you're pregnant, on top of that, it just makes it more of a risk, a health risk um, for your baby. So those are things that we talk about and look at and try to advocate and write letters about and educate that this is systemic racism. It always happens. It happens all the time, and we feel the same each time. This is, a, this is more of a public issue, but we all know in our neighborhoods there's always at least, you know, unfortunately in mine, I'm in a predominantly white state, Oregon, but still we had like eight shootings in five months. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot of young people shooting at each other. So that means you're uptight, not so much that you might get shot. That's one part. But you're upset because those are your people hurting each other. And that, that's sad and depressing. A lot of times, again, we can't express it. And unlike we have white American children who commit suicides in schools and kill the whole school, there's counseling all day long in their school. When we have an assassination or a death of one of our youth, there's no counseling. The schools don't shut down. It's like business as usual. Just like you saw someone raped and stripped and hung, and Lynch, there was no counseling. You just had to get back to the field. So it's that same negative uh, expression that we're not people, that we don't feel pain, that nothing bothers us. Well, it does bother us, and it comes out in the form of hypertension, overeating, drug abuse, violence, and our babies dying for age one. And so ICT is all about social justice, birth justice, you know, human rights, and black people having the right to exist quality-wise here. Phenomenal information, uh, International Center for Traditional Child Bearing, uh, President and Founder, Ms. Shafia Monroe. Uh, I will hit the phone line, see if we have uh, folks who have any questions. Uh, first up, our caller in Brooklyn. Uh, Do you have a question for Ms. Monroe? Uh, good evening, Gus and uh, the guests and the callers. Thank you. Good evening. Um, good evening. Uh, thanks for the constructive information. Um, You're welcome. Great. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, a question about something that you said earlier, um, which I felt was uh, kind of tease out a little something of um, what what you what um, I guess what way you see it. Um, you said you were talking about doctors. Um, I think more earlier in the in the um in the twentieth century, I guess it would probably be now still true a little bit. You're saying white male dominant uh like the the profession being white male dominant um I was gonna and it seems to me like you know women women do something that men can't do, which is give birth, and then like men there would be something that men would have to do 
on the other side of that dynamic that women couldn't do. And I guess, you know, it's natural that the men would protect the women or, you know, kind of nurture them while they were in that, you know, vulnerable state. Um, and so it just seems to me like um, white and male dominant is kind of a kind of a redund- redundant, you know, like that white, like, like what whatever white culture is, is male dominant because that's like the uh that's the uh you know the aggressive the aggressive part of that male female partnership would be the male so do do you think that white culture is male dominant and like there's no really way to separate the two like, i guess well, like I, I would say I I think I, that the world the world is male dominant. I mean, in any society. But I think the difference is in Africa, you look at all the female deities and the artifacts of mostly women breastfeeding, and men are more prone to respect women, taking care of women, and not try to uh, get too involved. Of course, now with Western medicine and other types of medicine, we'll find the same problem. You know, midwives are being pushed, and we're looking at more and more uh, doctors, and because men are able to. I don't know, maybe they can, can get the scholarship money or, you know, men still have more education than women worldwide. I mean, so many women don't even get educated in some parts of the world. So it is it is male dominance. Um, we have we have female doctors now, but still it's pretty much, uh, you know, still pretty much male business of how we have our babies. And it's more of a medical model, which was started by the European men, in fact, when they had the midwives in their own, you know, parts of Europe, uh, it was the barbers who were actually men who who slaughtered. They weren't even doctors yet who kind of pushed the midwives out the way. And as a result, uh, so many women died from infection because the doctors didn't know to wash their hands during that time. Whereas with the midwives, there was a less death rate because they weren't dealing with blood on that same type of uh, level. So it is it is um, male dominance, but I think that. Regardless of your race, so even if you're a white midwife, there's issues with, with the medical model. But then you're black, it's even going to be harder. The color does play into it. You know, people don't like to say the race color, but people look at people's complexion, and that's how you get treated. There's assumptions made when you're a black woman pregnant. There's assumptions made even when you're a black midwife. Does that answer your question a little bit? Um, well, somewhat, I, I would maybe be more satisfied if you could say, you know, just whether or not you think that you can separate male dominance from white culture, because it, it's not, it's not black men that are dominant, you know, I, you said white male dominance, so do you think that you can separate male dominance from it being a white thing? Uh, I don't think I can. I think I think you know in terms of medicine and mortality and the structure, we're, we're in a white country, so it is a white culture, and we are the smaller number. We're not the minority because blacks can't be a minority, the majority in the world. But we, in this terms, this country, we're 13 percent of the entire population of this country. So we have a, a much harder job to um, exist and maintain our individuality in this country. So I would say that it's a white culture. And um, because mostly they're men, maybe. 
Because I could have the exact same problem also though with, with white women. Yeah, you know, we had we have they say they had um I can't think of how to say it, but you had uh, they 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 called her Miss Anne. There's just as many white women who, you know, uh sold children and, and um didn't, you know, cause problems. So we thought for a long time it was just the white master or the white owner I call them, but also his wife was just as uh dangerous and hostile. Amen. Yeah, I would wager to say. I mean, it's like you know the white the white guys at the at the you know at the forefront with the sword and the shield and everything. But I mean, the white woman. I mean, she's sitting at home. I mean, she might be even more dangerous because she's the brains, you know. But that's just my take. Thanks for answering my question. Thank you for asking the question. Okay. Uh, I will double check uh, the number again: seven six zero five six nine. Seven six seven six, and the code is five six four nine four three pound. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, just in terms of literature information, uh, if there are any folks out there who uh, are going to have children or considering having children, uh, what sort of literature or resources would you direct them to so that they can do it in the healthiest manner possible? Well, uh, the book is called Mocha Mom's Manual. Um, I can't think of the author right now, but there's several books, you know, so M-O-C-H-A, uh, about pregnancy for um, African-American women and for black women. Um, there's another book that used to be out written by a black obstetrician and a health worker. You know, what I'm going to tell you to do is actually go to our website, and under resources and book lists, we have the list of books that we um, recommend. Because my mind is going, um, not able to think of them all at this moment. Okay, okay, I got you. Uh, if you go to the website, uh, blackmidwives.org, uh, if you look at the resources tab, uh, you can click yes. that and lots of information, web links, the whole nine uh, to give folks more info. Uh, the Mocha Moms Manual, uh, is it a right. black author? Yes. There's also a book called The Big Book of Soul by Stephanie Rosebird, you know, on recipes and rituals around birth um, and health. There is, um, you, know, at, you know, we don't have enough books, to be honest, written by us. That's one thing that we're also trying to work on. You know, when I think of all the books that I look at on how to have a baby, seeing pregnancy, parenting, I haven't seen as many as I would like to compared to mainstream. So I tell people, you know, read a book. I mean, no matter what race you are, there's only one body, and so you're going to birth pretty much the same. I think what the black midwife does, it provides a cultural competency. It, causes, it provides that protective uh, case for you. So when you, I have some women who come from seeing their doctors who, who are not black, you know, mostly been white doctors, male and female, when women come to the office, you know, I just felt like they didn't respect me. You know, they, they called me fat or they thought I was on drugs. You know, I've never used drugs. There are a lot of assumptions. So just sometimes, and not all, some black women, they love their doctors. They have very positive experiences. They love their white midwives. So I don't want to make it like it's all one way. But just um, we just got through doing a study in Oregon. We survey 245 women who identified as black, so black Hispanic, black Asian, black African-American. We used all those terms, and we had questions. Were you ever offered a black doula? Did you feel fear or safety? And so what we found that 
out of 245 black women, 62% birthed listed as single. They, you know, you had, you had boyfriend, partner, divorced, or married, or single. So 62% said when they were having their babies, they identified as single. That could mean that they had nobody with them at the birth or no one with them even during the entire pregnancy. They're saying they're single. Uh, 3%, you know, which is very small, breastfed for, for three months. So most of the women did not breastfeed for even three months. And then the other concerning part was that 75% said that during the birth itself, they felt either fear, humiliation, or racism, or they had another concern. So that means almost 75% of black women who birthed um, said they did not feel they didn't feel safe. Now I don't know if white women saying the same thing or Asian or other groups, but I was just looking at black women who historically have been um, forced sterilization, experimentation, babies taken away from them out of their arms and either sold. Uh, enslavement or they're being taken out of the arms, being put in the foster care for very small uh, reasons. You know, we know we're all represented in the penal system and in the foster care system nationwide. So, um, you know, not feeling identified. So what the black midwives do to make sure that we can educate the family um, and be with them. So my point about the book and the readings, yes, you can read anything you want about pregnancy. We need the same kind of food. We need the same kind of rest. But what you do need that you're not going to often get in mainstream medicine is is a cultural competency where someone's going to empower us. You know, as a black family, you're valued. You know, these are your foods. You know, yams are good foods. You know, butter beans. You go look at your great-great-grandmother ate. You need to be eating some greens so you can get that calcium up. Um, don't look at the fast foods. You know, your skin might get darker and know that's normal. Uh, when babies are born who are black, they have more melanin. It's called the Mongolian spots. And a lot of times when the mother brings the, the, the baby in for a um, pediatric visit, the, the, the white physicians who aren't familiar or even nurses thought the babies were being abused. So even for Hispanic babies, they get that same melanin concentration. So having people who look like you and understand you um, is supposed to be helpful. And the studies say that when families are having babies, when they can find someone of the same culture, they have a better outcome because people understand. Understand how we talk, how we eat, how we, how we act, and so you don't feel... Um, as much stress, and we talked about stress causing headaches, depression, and premature birth. So that's the advantage of no matter what book you read, then to find someone within your community who's educated on the birth process to either, you know, talk with you, help you, or actually to be with you during the birth process. For the mother and the father, both feel better having somebody from their community, community they've had a relationship with. And the other part about when you do get home from the hospital, unless you're having a home birth, which, by the way, I'm a home birth advocate, and I support home birth, and if you are able to have your baby at home, that is the best place to have your child if you can. But if not, when you come home from the hospital, to have a um, community person, a black midwife, who can meet you and greet you at your house and help you go forward with the breastfeeding and the good eating and um, the rituals that we do that make you feel so good. Outstanding information. Um, you know, you have to uh, take care of your child. I just wanted to see if you could give some of the information in terms of what you all are going to be doing. Uh, you have a conference, the uh, International Black Midwives and Healers uh, Conference. International Black Midwives and Healers Conference. And I have to say with pride that um, I love Erica Badu. I heard about me her. Me too. I her, but her, excuse me? I said me too. But she's our national spokesperson. You know, I've been wanting to talk with Erica Badu for years because I was standing in line 14 years ago in Dallas, Texas. Someone said, Erica Badu just had her baby at home. So here I am, a black midwife saying, oh, my God, 
I have a black celebrity who birthed at home. I must get in contact with her. So for 13 years, I, you know, wrote a few letters, tried to, didn't try it that hard, but kind of tried. But then, 2010, I told our membership, see, so much for having a powerful membership, I said, I really want Erica Badu to be our keynote speaker for our seventh annual Black Mother's Hills Conference. And one of our members' best friends was Erica Badu's best friend. So we sent her a packet, and the best friend gave it to Erica Badu, and her agent or her people called us like a few days later, and she came to our conference, and it was packed and wonderful and exciting. And then we invited to be our, our ICTC um, national spokesperson because Erica Badu has had all three babies at home. She breastfed them all for two years. She had them natural. She's vegan. She's gorgeous. She's homeschool. Everything that we um, expound on as a black midwife organization, she replicated. So we were very excited that she agreed to be a national spokesperson. So we have invited her again to come to the um, the 8th International Black Midwives and Healers Conference. This is an amazing event, you all. I can't even put it into words. You have to be there. Midwives come from all over the world. They've come from Colombia, um, of course, the United States of America. They come from Haiti. Uh, they come from Puerto Rico. They come from Trinidad. Uh, we're getting calls from all, all over, not just um, black midwives. We're getting calls from Bulgaria. Bul- Bulgaria is a white, you know, a white country. They are on our website watching the work, and they love the leadership and what we're doing. They're asking for our help, and, of course, we'll help them, you know, to do what they need to do to get their own women um, healthy and to get midwifery in their country where it should be. So when you come to the conference, it's three days of um, beautiful women and beautiful men. Women and men come. You know, children come. We have workshops. You know, we have the altar. We open up with drumming. We have evidence-based information, so we are scientific. Everything we talk about. We can prove there's been research on it. Uh, we're, I'm saying to you today on the air the same things I read about from Harvard's public health department. So this is not made up. This is what they say. Stress, systemic racism causes babies to come early. And here's examples. You know, like I said, the, 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 what the Jewish women went through with the Holocaust, what the Middle Eastern women went through, particularly Arab women went through, feeling hate during the 9-11, and what black women have been doing historically. We've been feeling that all from the very beginning. You know, so we know what it's like to, to not be valued when we come into a room or you're being followed at a store or your doctor look at you kind of weird when you walk in or look at your children. It, it does something to you. And so um, we need a lot of healing, and this conference is about, you know, healing ourselves. And you mentioned, God, you know, about, again, I go back to white supremacy. You know, you can think you're as good as you are, white, black, whatever, but for black people, we need, we need to own our power and our beauty and our supreme being. You know, and in doing that, because once we do that, we, we're going to be able to co- combat systemic racism. But you have to first feel value in yourself and think, you know that you're worth it and organize ourselves and how we can make a difference um, if we're going to stay in this country. And, and these things are rippling into parts of Africa, by the way, too. So that's why we're international. We're seeing parts of Africa beginning to lose their midwives because mainstreams come in saying that, oh, you midwives are too backwards, too much tradition. And we need to, you know, bring in uh, the the Western model of care. And so we also want to protect the traditions of Africa. We're talking to the African midwives, you know, don't give up the culture. Don't do what we're having to do, going back to find out the tradition. You know, try to hold on. So they'll come also to the conference. And um, it's just an amazing conference. I just, like I said, you have to be there. Something you can't put into words. You have to experience it. It's like birth. You can't really say how it felt. You kind of can say it, but... You don't know what it feels like to have it. And even as a parent, 
people say, oh, I had no idea the kind of love. Yeah, I, can, I never knew I could love like this if I had a baby. So you can talk about it, how you're going to feel about it, but when you hold your baby, you know now what I'm talking about as a mother. So you have to be at the conference to really experience um, a transformation, literally. And people have said that. They email us and say, you know what, my life was changed. You know, if I didn't come to this conference, I don't think I could have hung on one more moment for, for whatever they were going through. I had no idea, but they emailed later, you know, thank God for the conference. Please don't ever stop. And so um, I want to put out there for anyone out there, we do need support as a nonprofit organization that is cutting edge, that's doing, um, it's, 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 our work is not alternative, it's traditional, it's ancient, but it's forgotten. That makes it alternative. If you don't remember black midwives in the South, if you don't remember your mother breastfeeding, if you don't remember having your baby at home, using herbs and things like that, then to you it's called alternative, but it really is traditional. And we, we say international center for traditional childbirth because, because traditional means information given by word of mouth. So even though we use books and we write and we do research, we do qualitative analysis, our folks have PhDs, certified nurse midwives, some of them, did, you know, highly brilliant people, but still the first way of learning is by communication and by showing. So we use the apprenticeship model we use um, stories and, and expressions so that we can learn that way. So that's um, the piece that's in there. And so back to white supremacy, you know, we need to um, elevate ourselves and maintain it. And so what we can do right away is that we can make decisions on how we're going to live our lives. You know, we can say that my baby is going to live to be one and until God takes it from the earth at 80 years old or 100 like my grandma. I am going to breastfeed my baby. I am going to stay with my wife or my girlfriend, whoever I got pregnant. If we don't get along, if it doesn't work out, I'm still going to respect her and help and make sure that my child's safe and be involved in my child's life and, and be there so that I can make this spiritual citizen, this universal citizen, reach its potential and not have a child that being handcuffed, like some girls handcuffed at seven, having a tantrum. Second case I've heard about this, of our kids being, you know, dragged into um, – detention at eight years old or being taken away of foster care or not achieving academically because we as a people are not doing our job. And I have to first start with us first. That's why I started the organization. I can't blame the system. I could have first do my part. I can be a black midwife. I can outreach to my I can I can have a black midwife conference. I can have a black organization. I can have a website. I have power. I can't say I can't. I can. I have and I and I achieve and it's amazing and it's growing. And so that's what I want to put out there. If you have an idea about how you can make your community better, you don't need permission from anyone. No one says, Shafia, do this. I was groomed through my family and through my own spiritual calling to be a leader, to make a difference for the betterment of my community. And so I encourage everybody out there, whether you're going to be a midwife or not, everybody has their healing, which is why we call our conference Black Midwives and Healer. And a healer is anyone who makes things better, whether you make people laugh, whether you grow plants, if you can make the cat meow, if you can make your grandmother feel better. We all have always been healers. This is a God-given gift that every human being has. We just don't tap into it. It doesn't mean you're a doctor. It means that you can make something better in your environment. And so that's what we need to be doing so we can bring ourselves back um, to where we need to be. And our kids are not shooting each other and killing each other and our women not being pregnant by themselves, 62% out of 245 people. That don't make no sense. Man, <laughs> outstanding information. Um, I'm so glad we were able to reschedule and get you on the program. I feel like we would have really missed out on a treat and just phenomenal information. Um, the website, again, is blackmidwives.org. Uh, the conference, I even want to go to the conference. I don't even have children. Uh, it's uh, oh. 
Remember now, you are a father. You know, the Baba is a term in Africa. You know, everyone's a father in Africa, and that's why they work so well. Everyone's a dad. We have child, and everyone's a mama. That's what they use. You know the Swahili, Baba, Mama, everybody. Wow. Wow. I put, I'm putting it on my calendar, October 19th through the 21st, uh, International Black Midwives and Healers Conference, Returning Power to Birth, Reclaiming Our Culture in Miami, Florida. How about that? Everything been going on with uh, George Zimmerman and everything. Uh, October 19th through the 21st, you all should be attending. Erica Badu, I love Erica Badu. Um, yeah, you all should attend. Go to the conference. It's blackmidwives.org. Visit the website and support their efforts. Uh, thank you so much for sharing some of your uh, Monday evening with us. Uh, we definitely want to have you back on the program. Maybe we can get you on closer to the conference to help promote and yes. get the word out so more people will go. And really quick, too, guys, just for people out there, you know, whether you come to the conference or not, if you go to our website, you can become a member. That means that you support. It's only $35. You'll get a newsletter called the Black Midwives and Healers. Con- I'm sorry, the Black Midwives and Healers Review. comes out uh, twice a year. But more importantly, it's your contribution. You know, there's a donate button. You can just you can just give money because again, as a nonprofit, we're not rolling like we wish we were. We're rolling with energy and love, but in terms of economics, you know, it takes it takes a village, and we need to, you know, sustain our black institutions. We really do, because when they're gone, we say, oh, what happened? What happened? We didn't take care of it. So we need to whether it's the black colleges, you know, whatever you uh, NAACP, all the things out there, ICTC, you know, support black institutions support them so that we can keep the work going um, for the next generation. We should not become, uh, what's the word called, obsolete. We should only be getting better because the, the need is getting better. We're in the depression. People are hungrier. There's less food. Uh, we need to be breastfeeding. You know, people are walking more. They can't afford gas. It's almost $5 in Portland. We need to sustain our institutions so we can find ways to manage what we're going through right now. We ask for your support. That's what I'm saying. Support ICT. Support the effort of increasing more black midwives. Support the effort of finding ways for our babies to live not only to be one, but not to be shot in the street by their own brother because they have no sense of love because their parents um, were so busy, unfortunately, being stressed out that maybe there was a, a void in their family that they had to resort to other tactics. So we need to step in like we used to do. Mm. I could not agree more. Um, oh, now, see, I hate it when this happens. People wait to the last minute. Now, I said we had an hour left. Um, if we can do it in, like, 90 seconds, do you think we could uh, get two quick questions in 90 seconds? Sure. Okay. You all got to be really quick because she has to go and she has a mom. She has mothering responsibilities. Um, first person, 3839. You got to do it really quick. Do you have a question? Last four digits, 3839. Yes. Hello, can I be heard? Yes. Yes, sir. How are you? Hi. Hi. Good evening. Uh, okay. I'm going to try to be quick because uh, I had a few questions, but um, I was going to ask, when we go to your website, because I saw that there's a list of, um, I guess, doulas that's in the area, what yes. type of information would they provide? And the reason why I'm asking this is because, um, me and my partner, we've been together roughly about three years and was thinking right. about having a child, but she's, she had a child, she has a child already, and she's not open to the idea of having um, uh, like a natural childbirth. Um, so how would that person present their information to somebody who's, I guess, already been through 
the regular institution of going through a hospital and right. like what type of information would they present to I guess not right. to persuade. I understand that's a good question because we have that a lot. Women say I already had a baby. There's no do I no way do I want natural or whatever the case may be. So then we have to respect people's choices and try to give them what the options are. You know, if you're going to have an epidural, are you aware of the side effects that it has and there's more research on the baby? Yeah, are you aware that maybe you can get the epidural at 7 centimeters and not at 4 centimeters? You know, maybe you can walk around for us and try this. Give them different options. Help them do a birth plan. Help them decide, well, how do you really want to have your baby? Because a lot of times they want to ask that. And then, again, when you get home, do you need some support at the house? Because the whole point of having support so that mom can spend the first six to eight weeks just, even if she's bottle feeding, Spending time, it shouldn't have to go back to it, nurturing her baby so that baby can thrive because they did a study when babies are left in the crib with the nuns in, this, in a, one of these, uh, I'm not sure what country it was, but they did a study. The babies were not picked up but fed the best formula. They actually died because babies need physical contact. So just propping them up with a bottle can make a baby not grow, literally. So, so having someone at the house that can help you and her um, enjoy. So the dad's not running around going to the store and having to do all the cleaning he also wants to sit with his with his mate and enjoy their baby together. Having the doula in the home to help with the maintenance gives you all more time to, or even with the other child. So I think just a conversation with a doula or the full, we call them birth companion, would, would be beneficial. You have to tell her there's no, um, she doesn't have to make a decision. It's just hearing some different information, having some discussion, then thinking about it. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh Thank you, thank you for the answer. Uh, can I ask one more question? You can. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask in terms of age, what do you say is the I guess the ideal age, or there is no ideal age or age range? Oh, yeah, I, because, I, I didn't uh, say, but look, medically speaking, 16 to 25 is the best time of a baby. Of course, no one does that, but that's oh. that's the best time. Of course, women have babies at 35 and 42. Okay. So um, if the person can conceive and hold the baby, they're probably just fine. Again, okay. historically, people just had babies they couldn't. It was called a surprise baby. They thought they were menopause, they were 50, and wound up pregnant after the oldest being 10. So it's very common that women had babies till they couldn't have them anymore. But now there's so much control around our body uh, and the so-called biological clock. We have a lot of panic going on. But pretty much, um, if a person does get pregnant, they're fine. If they're not pregnant yet and they're about 33 or 34, they might want to consider for the woman um, starting. Because sometimes it doesn't happen right away. It takes a couple of tries for right. some women, not all, but for many. Okay. 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 All right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look for more information on your website. And thanks again for coming on the show. And, uh, Gus, thanks again for having this guest. And uh, this has been, it's been a lot of information. And, um and I may try to check out that conference myself. <laughs> yeah, and feel free to call me. And like we do, we have a father's workshop every year, recognizing dads, and we have a, we have male speakers. I just want to say, too, I really appreciate the two men that called. It's nice to know that men are listening, and that you know that you all like you're the other half. It takes 26 chromosomes on each side. They're both equally important. So I'm so glad that you are asking these questions and investigating. It's, it's very exciting. Um, just to hear your voice that you ask these questions. So thank you. Okay, okay, because I had one more question, but I'm not. We have one other person. Understood, understood. Um, All right, thanks, and um, have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you.
Uh, the other caller, if you can go super quick, 3644-3644. Uh, uh, did you have a question for Miss Monroe? Yes, ma'am. Hi, yes. Um, I just want to say I'm totally inspired. Um, I want to be a doula. Um, I'm currently in a second-grade teacher, and I'm actually studying under Queen of Fua, um, holistic vegan. Oh, and good. really my dream is to open up a, pre- a holistic prenatal care center and I already, like, named it Blissful Babies, and, like, basically your vision is, like, my vision, and I just, I don't know, I just don't really know how to start something like that or where I can study to become a doula under, you know, with women of color who are practicing holistic, holistically, and, um, yeah, so that's kind of my question. ICTC, we train doulas. We train full-circle doulas based on the African-American legacy with public health and everything, so we are the premier doula company trainers of the uh, of the world, or we'll say for the, for the country. So everything that we talked about is in our doula training program. If you go to the website and click on um, doulas, the registrations, in fact, I'll be in New Orleans training doulas uh, May 17th in New Orleans, and our website, we're training again in July. So I would encourage you to consider taking our training program because everything that I'm talking about is incorporated into the training, all the rituals, all the traditions, the political aspect of it, which is why we call it a full circle doula. It's a full circle orientation to birth from an African centered perspective. Right. I mean, as a, I mean, I, I teach now, and I, I'm just worried about like making the transition, or do I have to stop, you know, teaching, or like, can is it feasible to, you know, do doula training as well as like working at the same time? It is. It is. You don't have to. You, you could take the training, and then, you know, a lot of the people that we train, they first start just with their family. They might have a, a cousin or their sister's daughter, someone close to take on one family member, which is really great. Just help the family first, and then slowly, as you choose, you know, you just begin to um, work out if you choose to do that. And some people just take the leap. They, you know, they get a loan, they get a building, they open a birth center, and they just jump into it. So there's there's different ways, and I don't know what state you are, but we are. Now, New York. On our website, there are New York. You can look and see if you have one. Excuse me? Are you coming to New York at all? Uh, we, had, we had our conference in Harlem 2008. But I, I'll tell you this. You should join our, uh, go to our Facebook, ICTC Facebook. Uh, a lot of members are there, and we definitely have folks from New York on that Facebook. You could, you could hook up with them. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Congratulations for your calling. I'm excited for you. Me too. I just felt like I had to call. It was like I just randomly found the the radio network. I, it was my first time ever listening, and of course, it's about everything I want to do. So, I believe in you know signs and just everything right. being in divine order. <laughs> exactly. Same. I I do the same thing. So that is wonderful. And um, any questions? Like you can use the ICTC Facebook. You can you can email us at ictc at ictmidwives.org. Um, I'm okay. listed on on the uh, website, our website. So you know, anything we can do to support you in your vision and in your calling, that's why we exist. Thank you so much. <laughs> Welcome. Groovy. Good hearing from you. Um, right on. It's, she has mothering responsibilities. I don't want to tie up all of her uh, her time. Um, if you all have other questions, things you want to get in, uh, the website again, Black Midwives dot org 
blackmidwives.org. Uh, it's in the chat room. Uh, it should be in the description for the program as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with her after the program, shoot her an email or get any uh, any of your questions answered that we didn't have time for. Uh, again, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Monroe. I definitely want to be in touch to see if we can get you back on the program to promote the conference and what you all are doing. Uh, just outstanding information, I think, critical for any any black person listening to the program. You definitely should check this out. Visit the website as well, whether you have children or not. Um, thank you so much, and please continue the uh, vital work that you all are doing, just priceless information in my opinion. Thank you so much for inviting me. I uh, appreciate the work that you're doing, the big responsibility of hosting these shows and, and being there for the community. So, so thank you for having this forum and letting people call it and ask questions and share their, you know, their voice on this. So this is important work. So thank you also. For sure. We uh, we will be in contact. Good to know somebody in my neck of the woods down in Oregon, right down the road. Right, um, right. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will definitely be in touch, and uh, thank you so much. Please enjoy the rest of your evening, Ms. Monroe. Thank you. You take care. God bless. Will do. Good evening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Wow. Context of white supremacy. Have to give a mega thank you to uh, Esther Stanford Cosse, black female. She's in the United Kingdom. Uh, I didn't know anything about uh, Miss Monroe and the International Center for Traditional Childbearing uh, until she came on the program last month. Uh, and she was talking about this. Uh, she's also a birth companion. That's how I came up in the first place. But uh, Miss Stanford Cosse, she was talking about white supremacy, of course, and she was saying that a lot of that damage begins before you've even, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, white people are going to work on you while you're still in the womb. And she spent, I think we spent a good chunk of that dialogue talking about that. And she mentioned the work that Miss Monroe is doing. And she's in the UK and she knew about it. So that right there, International Center for Traditional Childbearing. But yeah, I will email her as soon as the program wraps up to thank her again. Uh, she said that she wanted to listen to this program. I told her that Miss Monroe was going to be a guest with us. And she said to make sure that I sent her an MP3 of the broadcast, so I will do that. Uh, the folks that dialed in with questions, if you all want to share anything, I know the caller in New York, she said she was thinking about starting her own uh, center, Blissful Black Babies. That's outstanding work. We'll take a quick commercial break, and then if you all want to share anything, I know there was one call on the talk shoe line that had a hand up. Uh, Ms. Monroe had told me that she had to uh, do some things with her daughter um, at 630, so that was why I wanted to make sure that we gave her time to get off and Make sure she could be a mom. Uh, we'll do a quick commercial break, and then uh, I'll go to the phone lines if you all want to share anything around what you heard or any other questions or thoughts that you had just based on the information. Uh, we'll take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Context of white supremacy. Cool. <laughs> so cool. RacismDaily.com, your number one source for global news reports on race, racism, and overt actions of white supremacy. From Asia to the Americas to Europe to Australia to Africa, racism is not a thing of the past. It is our current reality. Be informed. Be globally informed. You should be the first to know. RacismDaily.com, RacismDaily.com, RacismDaily.com. Is racism hurting you? 
On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree? Counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. That's counter-racism.com. Do you need a one-stop shop for all of your multimedia needs? Triumphant Multimedia is a skilled team of professionals with a passion for great marketing and chic design. Our specialties include consulting, brand development, copywriting, and creative graphic design that's second to none. We also offer photography, photo retouching, videography, and video editing. At Triumphant Multimedia, our goal is to provide highly effective creative solutions built to suit any individual need or budget. Give us a call at 678-732-8067 or check us out online at trimultimedia.com. everyone welcome this is justice with the cows radio program if you want to learn about understand and counter racism white supremacy be sure not to miss a cows episode we keep them jammed packed with constructive information to sharpen your use of words to help eliminate the system of racism white supremacy asap also to be able to invest in my counter racist efforts co-hosting the cows radio program please visit my blog just do justice today you're just saying just buckets and buckets of words i got an uncle real crazy my uncle b 55 years old hates white people married to a white lady and he's sitting around going you know these crackers ain't shit Except for Susan. <laughs> he tried to explain the whole thing to me one day. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a white wife. I love her. She loved me. That's all that matter. But I tell you this. If the revolution ever come, I'll kill her first. <laughs> just to show these crackers I mean business. <laughs> motherfucker cracker ass. Motherfucker cracker. Shit cracker motherfucker. Well, hey, hey, hi, honey. <laughs> Motherfucker, cracker, I'll kill my cracker kids too. <laughs> I'm a recovering undercover over lover. Recovering from a love I can't get over. Recovering undercover over lover. 
Context of white supremacy. I'm a big Erica Badu fan. Wow. She's going to be at the conference. That would be another excuse for you to go support uh, October, 19th, October 19th through the 21st, Miami, Florida, the 8th International Black Midwives and Healers Conference. Uh, when Esther Stanford Cosey, when she was praising the work of uh, ICTC and Miss Monroe, she made sure to get in. Erica Badu is their national spokesperson. So, uh, yeah, lots of great work. Uh, you should go back and listen to that program if you didn't hear it with Esther Stanford Cosey. She also had phenomenal information. Uh, it was April 4th, uh, black female in the U.K. You can check her out. She has her own radio broadcast in the U.K., VoicesOfAfricaRadio.com, VoicesOfAfricaRadio.com. Uh, we'll be back several times in the week. Uh, should be here on Thursday evening as well as Friday, the Urugu study session, first 50 pages. Dr. Marimba Ani, first 50 pages of the book, do it in sections. Uh, before we hit the phone lines to see what the callers had to say, uh, news report just talking about the stress that Ms. Monroe was talking about that black people have to exist under and how this impacts uh, children and black females who are pregnant with child. Uh, this was just reported uh, today, a few hours ago. Uh, this is for, uh, at Cornell University in New York, caller in New York, Cornell University in New York. Uh, the title of the report is Citing Trayvon, White People Allegedly Threw Bottles at Black Students from Fraternity Roof. Allegedly taunting them with references to Trayvon Martin, a group of white people on the roof of Sigma Pi Fraternity House reportedly threw bottles and other objects at black students who were walking by the, by the house early Sunday morning, according to several accounts. 
Sigma Pi President Zach Smith, uh, 2013, said in an email Sunday afternoon that the fraternity has figured out who the perpetrator was and will turn his name over to police. The individual identified was not a brother of the fraternity, he said. Cornell Chief of Police Kathy Zoner confirmed that people were reportedly making racial references in quotes and throwing bottles from the roof of Sigma Pi. She added that she could not disclose more information because the investigation, which was being led by Ithaca Police, is ongoing. Uh, Beverly Funkwo uh, said she was walking home with a friend when unprovoked, the group of fraternity uh, fraternity members uh, began throwing objects that landed near a group walking behind them. When the people walking behind Funkwo asked them to stop, the people on the top of the fraternity continued to throw objects, including a Jack Daniels bottle that landed near the group behind an unopened beer can that landed near Funkwo and her friend, she said. When they asked them to stop again, the group responded, come up here, Trayvon, and started making all these other racial comments, Fonquo said. A black teenager from Florida, Trayvon Martin, was shot and killed in February, a death that was widely perceived as unprovoked and galvanized black activists across the country. I feel like it was targeted and racist. We felt very threatened, Fonquo said of the incident. Meanwhile, the assailants were just laughing at the whole situation until we called the police and then they ran inside, she said. Smith, the Sigma Pi president, said the fraternity is sorry the incident happened on our premises, in quotes. He said that a large number of outsiders, including alumni and friends of brothers, were attending the event. Smith added that he was shocked upon learning of the incident later Sunday morning. We pride ourselves on having a very diverse house, in quotes. He said it is not the character of our house and not any way we'd like Sigma Pi to be represented. They, that may be of little consolation to Sade Samakinwa, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who said she saw her friends outside the house pretty shook up after the incident. I think the most shocking thing was not that the bottles were being thrown, but that they were shouting Trayvon. Samakinwa said, to use the boy's name so disrespectfully while disrespecting someone is absolutely insane. I don't think that is insanity. I think that is white supremacy, racism. And this is standard. Uh, even Timothy Wise talks about this is regular behavior at white fraternities nationwide. They have this sort of thing happening all the time. It happened at the University of Washington when we first started this radio program. Almost the same thing. It was white people out on the balcony throwing objects at non-white people walking by. Nothing was done about it. The police were called. They made a report. No one was punished. This happens probably every weekend on college campuses across the U.S., probably worldwide. This is not anomalous. This is racism, white supremacy. White people learn at a young age. White people, and, I, and I've said that repeatedly, white people and alcohol, those are probably two of the deadliest things in the universe you can put together. You do not want to be at white frat parties, white bars, anywhere where it's going to be white people drinking. Bad ideas steer clear. 
Uh, with that, we will hit the phone lines. Uh, if any of the folks uh, that dialed in, I guess we have several people that called in from New York. The female, your line should be open. One of the callers on the talk shoe line that called in from New York. Uh, I guess we're all in New York today and the caller Brooklyn. Uh, everybody that called in from Brooklyn, your line is open. Uh, if there are other people that have comments about what we were talking about today, you're, uh, just feel free to dial in. We can get you on as well. The three of you all, your lines should be open. Oh, hello. Good evening. Can I be heard? Uh, the female, yes. The male, yes. This is the male. This is S. Dot calling from Brooklyn. What's good, guys? Shooby doo. Shooby doo, sir. <laughs> um, I, I was kind of disappointed that I got in on the tail end of the call because I know the show was scheduled, rescheduled a few times for this uh, particular guest. And I wanted to particularly ask her about placenta encapsulation because um, my wife and I, we had home birth with our daughter four months ago. And um, I served as the doula for our home birth, and I did the placenta encapsulation. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's the process of converting the placenta into actual capsules where you dry it out. And uh, the female takes these over the course of months. She could even uh, store them until she goes through menopause. But it's highly beneficial towards a woman who, um, after birth, for lactation, for hormonal balance, and just things of that nature. So I particularly wanted to ask her about placenta encapsulation and just more specifically about what I could do as a black male towards um, galvanizing more black males to become doers for their partners. Mm, that's so deep. Hopefully we can get her back. I would love to hear her uh, input on that. I know she touched a little bit earlier on about uh, different things that black males can be doing and encouraging them to go to the conference. Um, you could even start a group. I think that's what she did, starting an organization um, to encourage that, because I think she was touching on repeatedly about how important it is, integral, uh, that black males participate in the birth process, that it's not like that on the continent of Africa, it's not supposed to be that way, and that it is extremely detrimental for all involved uh, to have black males being absent from that process. So, uh, yeah, I would say let your imagination run wild in terms of ways to encourage that sort of uh, constructive behavior. I think that's one of the integral ways we can combat racism and white supremacy is to have black males really being uh, staunch participants in that whole birth process and afterwards. So, yeah. I don't know, the female caller, uh, did you want to input on that? Um, well, I, I think that's great. Um, yeah, just like what you said, just talking with your friends and, um, you know, family members about the issue, because I feel like there's this stereotype that, you know, birthing and everything, that's a woman's whole, you know, thing, and men are, you know, stay clear of it, but it's really um, – you know, keeping our people kind of at a, at a huge disadvantage. Um, so, yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> uh, greetings. Um, yeah, I, I 
something I thought was interesting was um uh um she she was saying um just about the whole the whole thing about in, in general of uh midwifery or midwifing um like i you know i've i've been pretty what identified in my in my i almost call it a past life before i uh <laughs> and i get started getting really on this uh counter racist kind of um program but um like before like a year ago but um a couple of white females that i knew um both i met in denver uh were getting into midwifing and one recently she was living out in the northeast i think in cape cod and she was doing going through this midwife school another one in like illinois or something but it seemed like that i think her i don't know she they, they seemed like kind of more southernish women and i was just thinking about how um like i was reading a newspaper article about how like the least the, the, like the the least i guess the states where they quant some of that, they quantified like which states were the least happy which states had the least happy people and it was uh these states in the south um where i don't know i made a connection somehow with with these with, with these white women because they were kind of southernish and like the they 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 wanted to be midwives and they weren't like you know they're white you know it's just like uh it's very integral thing to life and how it was kind of being um just dominated by particularly white women and uh and how unhappy people are in the in the situation of white supremacy um i don't know i think these white women are a little bit more um more dominant than they they get credit for but um yeah it's a really great uh great program good information mm-hmm. one thing that i would really strongly encourage black females is to really begin engaging themselves in learning about reproductive wellness and not just from the perspective of what so-called Europeans are teaching you or miseducating you about. Because if you think about it, um, if you go back and do the research, many of the gynecological procedures that they do on females today are the result of a European gynecologist in the 1800s doing some pretty barbaric experiments on so-called black enslaved women. So I think that it's very important for black women to take responsibility about their reproductive wellness. My great-grandmother was a midwife. Um, the women in my family are very active in holistic wellness. It's something that I didn't pay attention to as much when I was growing up. When people would come to my house and my grandmother would, you know, um, treat them holistically but now that I'm with a partner who is uh, a nurse by profession, but also uh, she does nutrition and she is very holistic in her way of what she does, it's really given me a greater appreciation for it. And for black women particularly, just to think about that this is 
an integral part of our culture. It's very important that we become proactive in reproductive wellness, um, not just waiting until you conceive a child, but thinking about life leading up to conceiving that child, the readiness of yourself and of your partner, the importance of your diet, and recognizing the importance of the information that you allow into yourself um, mentally while you are with a child so that we can really seriously combat this global system of racism, white supremacy. It's really, really important. The battle begins before conception, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you bring up about, well, everything you said, but what speaks to me is is the nutrition piece as well um, and just, I mean, I'm a vegan myself, and it's really hard to, you're not hard, but it's challenging to find a partner that, one, like, is willing to, like, you know, kind of go against maybe the way he was raised around food to more holistic measures and just trying to get the importance of, you know, the difference between alkaline and acidic sperm and, like you said, like, being able to detox with your partner before you can see, like, those are all things that, you know, I would like to do before I have kids, but I find it very challenging, especially in New York City, to find a brother who's kind of hip to that and open to changing his diet or, you know, what have you. And I feel like I have friends who are kind of in my same boat who are with, you know, men who are pretty toxic um, because, you know, they don't want to be alone and they'd rather have somebody than nobody. And I'm kind of like, well, no, that's not really going to work for me. So it, there's like there's definitely a disconnect between I feel like women who are actively you know trying to heal themselves and men who I guess are just less prone to you know focus on you know healing their bodies and I don't know what can be done to kind of bring men more up to speed on that. Well, Queen of Four has a new book that just came out. Yeah. I actually just I, went I, to her um, <laughs> book signing this past week, um, Man Heal Thyself. I think that um, it's a constructive book to give to the males that are in your life. If you're considering partnering with an individual, I think it's important to give them that particular book. Um, you know, by way of beginning the conversation, I mean, for a number of years, you know, um, all there was was Sacred Woman. And, you know, I I was a male. It's funny because I was actually at the event night. You know, I I would try to translate it all to a male perspective. So, you know, there's information out there, though. Yeah, I'm actually a sacred woman, and I was at the Man Heal Thyself event. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, so I was there. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been working with Queen, and I actually helped her type Man Heal Thyself. So. Oh, okay, well, that's cool, man. I actually have the book. Great. <laughs> actually, I read the book in uh, probably two days. I got it the day before and finished it the day after. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) 
You know, um, I uh, um, was actually led to the cows last August. Um, by uh, I mean, I, I've been like avidly kind of researching better and better diets, like for the last, you know, since I was uh, for like more than ten years, like maybe fourteen years of my life since I was eighteen or so, and um. I, I was turned on to Dr. Sebi by a Nuwabu in um, non-white male out here in Brooklyn, and I, I, I went. I, I checked out Dr. Sebi on YouTube, and I was blown away. And I, 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 I've been on that type of diet ever since. But then I, then I found some Dr. Welsing stuff on YouTube, and that was like, whoa. Uh, and then I, and then I, and then I came to Neely Fuller. It was just like one-two punch. I was just like, where can I get more of this stuff? And then I found the cows, and then the rest is history. I got to thank uh, Love, Truth, Liberation, and she's out there um, for putting those uh, YouTube up. But um, Dr. Sebi is really amazing in the, in the context of white supremacy. Just, I mean, in that thought frame, um, it was really really great to hear what he had to say in uh, some of these YouTube uh, YouTube uh, videos. Yeah. Um, at the Man Heal Thyself, I, I feel most of the men that were there were, were older. I mean, I feel like it's going to be a huge challenge to get some of the younger guys to come out and, like you know, want to sit and talk about wellness and their health in this way. Um, but, I mean, I'm not discouraged, but I just, I just, you know, what's, I mean, I think, how did you feel about the whole, the hip-hop and, you know, trying to use that avenue to reach more, you know, black men into this? Well, I think it's, um, a way to have a conversation with younger people, um, particularly a lot of younger males who may be into hip-hop. Um, I think that you have to meet people where, where they are, wherever they are, and that is one medium to reach individuals. But it's also important to recognize that that's not the only medium, um, you yeah. know, because not just everyone listens to just hip-hop. You know, I think there's a broad array of things that individuals that are into who are black males, um, oftentimes the stigma is that, you know, when people are trying to reach black males, they always feel like they just have to put the music in hip-hop. And if the person is a black male and that particular narrative or genre doesn't speak to them, there's a disconnect. So I think that it's important to have a multiplicity of voices and to recognize that whatever your message is, and particularly for the message of man heal thyself, which is an important message, I think that it's important to not just focus it particularly on that spectrum or that particular audience, just making it hip-hop. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. 
think too for younger people um i think hitting black males and black females but we were talking about black males i think trying to get them at a younger age that would be great i know some of the folks who listen to this program some of the parents were saying that they were working to erode some of those tendencies in their five-year-old uh black male child uh and that they had already gotten the child weaned off of mcdonald's where they don't want to eat there anymore and they just gave them correct information and they tied it to racism uh they were talking to their five-year-old son and they were showing them videos on the pink slime and saying, this is McDonald's. Uh, you do not want to put that in your body. White people do not want you to be healthy. And she said it took some time. It took being consistent. I think that's one of the major themes that has come up on how you get information across the people is being consistent. She said it took some time, but it finally clicked. And now when he sees McDonald's, he says, oh, pink slime, I don't want that. Uh, so try to get them at a young age. Um, I know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, don't shoot for teenagers and what have you, but if you can get it at a younger age, it makes it so much easier. Uh, if you can, you know, not even have to begin with that stuff, but getting them at a young, young age, Marcus Klein uh, from Freedom Home Academy in uh, Illinois, he was saying at their school, they don't allow that stuff, vegetarian diet. Uh, so they're getting all of their young children and they teach them about that and they tie it to racism. So I think for a lot of black males, uh, if you can tie it to we're at war and a part of this battle is being waged on your plate. The stuff that you eat is directly connected to the war that is being waged against the black people. So part of the way that you can be a soldier and to be the healthiest soldier you can be. Be mindful about what you put in your mouth. Uh, and I think that might be effective. Just appeal. I think Dr. Baruti's term that warrior spirit uh, in young males, I think that might that might click for some of them. I would agree. I would also encourage parents, um, particularly parents of young black male children. There's a book. The author's name is Vivian Marks, V-I-V-I. E-N, Marks, M-A-R-X. She has a book called The Seaman Book. Now, I don't know um, much about the author. I suspect that she's a European. However, there's constructive information in the book. The book is called The Seaman Book. Um, I purchased about 30 copies of the book and distributed to young black males um, between the ages of 12 and 18, and we would sit around and we would have discussions about the book. And I think that it was constructive um, to have young black males at least begin to know some of the factual data about semen and the importance of semen. I would just caution every parent to recognize that it is important that they frame this from an African-centered perspective because a lot of the writing within the book is um, probably Europeanized. But if they could get that book and then get the Queen of Four book, Man Heal Thyself, I think that it would be constructive towards turning around a lot of the disinformation and the misinformation that a lot of black male children are getting right now and um, teaching them about the importance and the sacredness of their sperm. I talk to uh, Alexis Tyler about this all the time. She does that vagina power 
We talk about this all the time, about the sacredness of male sperm. And just having young black males recognize the true value of themselves so that they're not uh, just randomly, recklessly spilling their seed out there, it's just really important. I wish I knew some of this information when I was younger. That sounds really interesting. Uh, you just kind of sparked off a thought in my head about just the whole recklessness thing. It's like we're kind of in between these extremes, like we're either, you know, self-proclaimed conscious, you know, like about being conscious or we're just so reckless that it's just like on average it's just mind-boggling like how reckless we are and how we just kind of like we're just like, I don't know, like a little boy with like, just sperm to spare everywhere, like, you have baby, you have baby, you know, like, there's no real in-between for us, but uh, that's white supremacy, I guess. Yeah. I think that, you know, if black males just really come to see the sacredness and the value of their sperm, that they would make much better and much more constructive choices in when they expel their sperm and they don't. Um, you know, and I think that that would be really constructive towards our attempted relationships, and that way we could uh, turn around a lot of the counterproductive information that's being put out there, particularly about black relationships, you know, um, Unfortunately, a lot of black males in their younger years, below 25, are being bombarded with a lot of material that's just telling them to expel their seed as recklessly as possible. But that's just because they don't know the true value and the sacredness of their seed. So it's just really about, I think, them having a support network in place and you, you have to meet the young person where they are and recognize that many of them have been bombarded with been bombarded with information that has told them, you know, a contradictory perspective. So you've got to recognize that many of them have a really dysfunctional perspective on it, but, you know, you have to meet them where they are and be realistic. Mm-hmm. What were those two books that you were suggesting? Um, the first one, well, I would definitely recommend Queen of Fools, Man Heal Thyself, A Journey to Optimal Wellness. And you should be able to get hers on queenofforward.com. It's Q-U-E-E-N-A-F-U-A.com. And the other book is the Seaman Book by Vivian Marks. That's V-I-V-I-E-N Marks. And I believe it's on Free Association Books. Probably could have hooked that up on Amazon. And uh, that book is reasonably priced. So both of them are. Mm-hmm. So The Seaman Book and Man Heal Thyself. Yeah, and Thank also you. on that note, 
she's um Krina Fua is having a like a sacred sister and men soul sweat on May 27th and it's a really powerful atmosphere where we go to a Turkish bathhouse and we detox and we cleanse and we talk about wellness and everything um so you should definitely check that out as well and she has um a workshop coming up for the man heal thyself which is like a 12-week program where she breaks down like pretty much every part of your body and like how to you know achieve optimal wellness and who's who's this i'm sorry i didn't catch it sorry uh, who was uh, facilitating that? Oh, Queen Afua, the author of Man Heal Thyself. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. And I would also encourage black males, um, if you are looking to get into a relationship with a black female, it's, you probably want to get her that Queen of Four book, Sacred Wellness, and she also has a book, Heal Thyself. I think that um, looking at the extreme amount of womb trauma that a lot of black females have endured, whether it be from birth control, um, rape, molestation, abortions, all sorts of things that many of our black females have endured. I think it's important to be proactive before you conceive a child. So Sacred Woman would probably be a very constructive book to give to a black female in your life. Yeah, I could testify. It changed my life completely. (laughs) And I gave it to myself. (laughs) but it changed my life completely. What's your vision for the, uh, you were talking about it earlier, was it Blissful Black Babies? Was that the name of it? Yeah, I want to have um, a prenatal care center um, slash parent education. Um, And I guess the bigger vision would have like a daycare associated with it. So I'd consult, you know, couples in, holistic conception and provide doulas and midwives um, and everything that basically, you know, white privilege, you know, they get to have these mommy and me time and music and baby sign language and all these, you know, awesome programs that, you know, are, you know, our people don't have access to. I want to have those type of programs um, as well as like a daycare. (laughs) But I just, it's so like, I mean, it's definitely what I want to do. I just don't know, like, where to begin. I wrote a business plan, but that's about it. <laughs> so, but, yeah, that's that's the vision. Because I really, I mean, I'm a second-grade teacher in Harlem, and one of the biggest problems I see is, is kids, you know, parents really just don't have the tools um, that they need to be successful and to have their kids be successful, not just navigating the school system, but in nutrition, like so many kids are getting diagnosed with ADD and all this stuff, and it's really just too much sugar in their diet and probably, you know, other substances when they were in the womb. Um, and so just taking it back to, you know, 
like the womb as like you know life has already started and like the achievement gap starts there um as far as brain development is concerned um so i just yeah that's that's the vision i just don't really know how how i'm going to get there but that's that's it Sounds very constructive. Um, yeah, I hope you're able to get the assistance to get that formed. Uh, I think it would be great to have those sort of resources for black parents and black children. Um, I think uh, Miss Monroe, she was talking about that, how black parents just do not have those sort of resources. They don't get help. It's just uh, almost punished. Uh, it serves you right for struggling. You shouldn't have had all those no good black children anyway. That's the sort of attitude that is fostered worldwide uh, for black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to start with this conference, though. I've I've heard about this organization, and I've, I mean, I'm doing my master's in early childhood right now, so I've kind of just put becoming a doula on the back burner, but um, I don't believe in coincidences at all, and I just found your radio stations randomly, and that was turned on, and so I just feel like somehow I need to be at that conference. In Florida, of all places, that's... uh with everything that's been going on this year down in Florida, that is quite interesting. I don't believe in coincidences either that that conference will be in Florida. Um, October in Miami, anyone road tripping or listeners down in the Florida area definitely should check that out. Oh, I put it in the chat room. I think it was mentioned earlier, the father of uh, quote unquote father of gynecology, J. Marion Sims. That is the, racist white supremacist exact name uh james marion sims uh he's been referenced before i know uh when we had uh vernelia randall uh she's the author of dying while black racism and health again she's been on a couple times uh she has a nice chunk in her book talking about how uh this white got bought slaves and did all sorts of savage terroristic experiments on black females uh he's you know revered to this day father of gynecology James Marion Sims. Wow. Yeah, he's an absolutely very despicable character. And when I um, did some research and learned about some of the things that he did, shared it with some black females, um, some of them were quite appalled. This information isn't common knowledge, but um, it's important for black females to really look into the so-called father of gynecology and the things that he did to black women to benefit white women. Um, You know, there were experiments in which he um, did surgical procedures on black females and didn't even give them any anesthesia and said that uh, because the black slave was naturally uh, endowed with uh, an ability to endure extreme pain. And as a result of this, you know, they were able to perform 
several procedures on white females after doing these terrible, atrocious experiments on black females. So I think that if a lot of black females looked into the so-called father of gynecology, it would really put their reliance on Planned Parenthood and a lot of these other so-called gynecologists in perspective, and they would be able to understand why it is that so many of these um, non-white individuals, non-black individuals are so quick to put them on birth control and other sort of things that ultimately are going to end up with them having to have hysterectomies and all sorts of other things. It's, It's really war. It's really important that black females do the research. Mm-hmm. Vernelia Randall, she touched on how that, that legacy of what uh, Jay Marion Sims, what he was doing, uh, all those uh, just butchering black females uh, without any form of anesthesia, how that continues today where uh, black patients are not given the same amount of pain medication that uh, white patients are. Uh, the ten, the tendency, the general tendency, is that uh, doctors still have that same attitude that black people are able to better withstand pain, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously. But that legacy continues today. She has that informational research. Same thing, Miss Monroe said. White people have done studies. They know this uh, is still happening today. Yeah, and this, in my own personal experience, a black female that I knew growing up a few years ago um, became pregnant and decided that she didn't want to go full term with the pregnancy and went to have an abortion and ended up dying on the table. And this is a situation that happens a lot more and most people recognize. And, you know, I think it needs to be put out there more for a lot more black females to recognize that this is a common occurrence. This female at the time that she passed away was under 30 years old, you know, went in for, and, you know, and I hear a lot of black females be flippant with it, and they refer to it as the procedure, or I'm going to get a scrape. Or I'm going to cash it in, you know, strange, crude terms like that. And, you know, and it's a sad situation that a lot of us, males and females, don't recognize and value the importance of a life and that we're willing to put ourselves in harm's way at the hands of these barbarians, at the hands of these butchers. We just have to really learn about reproductive wellness, and I think that if we were more proactive in that, that we could do a substantial amount of damage to this global system of racism, white supremacy. Amen. Amen. 
Right on. Well, uh, does anybody have anything else they wanted to make sure we touched on before uh, we conclude? Anything from any of the callers, anyone listening in that they wanted to get out before we get ready to wrap things up? Well, I guess I, I just mentioned before. I'll just, uh, I was going to say, um, well, what's what you know? I was saying that what started started me on this kind of path uh, through YouTube to, um, to the cows was a uh, Dr. Sebi, and um, Dr. Sebi is a pretty uh, is an individual. I, I'd say was definitely worth uh, doing some research on or just checking out what he's got to offer. As far as um, he's got a very Seems like a very successful healing alkaline diet, um, and uh, apparently he's been curing like all these like diseases since the '80s, like AIDS and like just pretty much anything. It seems like this guy has kind of tackled all these diseases through these this alkaline diet and just natural herbs. But um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone to check that out as far as a health or dietary resource. When's the next show, well, radio show? Uh, should be Thursday evening, uh, this Thursday. I guess that's May. Moment for my calendar to load. Should be this Thursday evening. Uh, we'll be on. Uh, should be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Dr. Kambon, uh, Dr. Kamal Kambon, he should be on this Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um Okay, so I have my calendar now. So Thursday, May 10th, we should be on uh, Black Female. She's been doing a lot of work, I mean, years um, on battling racism on the job. And I know if you are a Black person anywhere in the world, you have had some problems with white people on the job. Uh, and she just picked up some techniques over the years for things that work well. Obviously, documentation is at the top of the list, but uh, she'll be with us this Thursday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Friday, we're doing the study session on Yurugu, uh, Dr. Marimba Ani, outstanding book, a uh, book I would say that is most responsible for this program being in existence. Um, folks wanted to go through, I know it's not the easiest read, it's kind of a large book as well, but just doing the first 50 pages, kind of breaking into smaller chunks, uh, folks should be prepared first 50 pages, just read and we'll share. If you have any questions, you get caught up on something, we'll share. Hopefully folks will have read at least the first 50 pages for this Friday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, the compensatory call-in, that'll be Saturday. That's uh, just, we offer folks an opportunity, non-white people, an opportunity to call in, uh, share anything, views, observation, uh, information, if they've been reading books or if they've seen something that they think non-white people should be aware of, uh, that's on Saturday evening. And then Sunday uh, should be Dr. Kamal Kamban uh, returning. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this week. Sorry, what was the name of the, um, the book? Just one book? thing I wanted to share. Um, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, I don't. I think there's like a delay. I just wanted to know the name of the book. I didn't hear it. Yurugu, and it's oh, Y U R U G U, and the author is Dr. Marimba Ani. Uh, you can find it online. Um, I think you can even download. I've been told that it's available uh, via download as well. Uh, but the full title is uh, Yurugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. Uh, she's a black female, 
phenomenal information. Uh, she covers all nine areas of people activity, uh, and it's kind of a psychoanalysis of white people and why they behave in the way that they, why James Marion Sims, why he would behave this way. She kind of gives her explanation on that and the whole history of, of white people. This is what they have always done in relationship to black people. Thanks. I'm going to look that up. I would encourage all potential black couples and more specifically black uh, parents that to get this book. Uh, my wife and I are reading it again. Um, she's going to be on a call on Friday as well. Uh, I had read the book years ago in the 90s. I got another copy, and then I bought her a copy so that we could read through together. And just looking at us developing a homeschool curriculum for our four-month-old, we found a lot of constructive information in it, and I think that all parents or potential parents should really get this book, and it could be helpful towards developing a homeschool curriculum, whether you're primarily homeschooling your child or just, uh, you know, supplementing their so-called, quote-unquote, public school education, I think that it's really constructive to look at developing an African-centered perspective in educating young black children. Um, do you know? Do you know maybe a, a bookstore where I could pick it up tomorrow instead of like ordering it on, on like Amazon and it taking a few days so I could join in on the, the study group? Where, what, 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 what state do you live in? I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, oh, me actually, too. I want to get There is a bookstore on Nostrand Avenue. It's on Nostrand and oh God. Oh, man. Let me it's by Atlantic? Uh, it's past Atlantic before you get to um, moving towards the other side of Fulton. Uh, it's about three blocks past Fulton. Oh, I forgot the name of the bookstore. It's in kind of like a barbershop bookstore. He actually oh, yes, got me I a know copy that's in 24 hours. Um, I would strongly encourage you to go there. Uh, I'm trying to look for the name of the bookstore. It's um, it's, um I know it. Yeah, I remember. Uh, what uh, is the name uh, of? Something. I thought it was True Something book. I can't remember true, it. But true it, South. It's true on, South. No, that's what it is. True South Books. Yeah, my friend's dad owns the place. Yeah, and he, he, he's, a good, he's a good guy. You know, I went in there, I asked him for the book because, you know, I loaned someone mine and they never returned it. And I asked him for the book and he just picked up the phone and called someone and he was like, I have it for you tomorrow. And he had the book for me the next day. So I would encourage you to go there, True South Books on Northern Avenue in Brooklyn. The number, I think I got it, is 
Yeah. Uh, say it again. 347-425-7330. Uh, Brother Brown, I guess that's who you'd be asking for. Um, 492 Nordstrom Avenue. Give him a call. Let him know you need a copy of. Yeah, tell him you need a copy of Urugu as soon as possible. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else? Anything else? I'm good. Right on. We got new listeners and the whole nine. Um, excellent information. I'm so glad we got Miss Monroe on the program. And she remembered. I want to make sure I get this in. I said it before. The first time she was scheduled to be on the program, which was last month, a few weeks ago, Someone called her at the exact time that I was supposed to be reading her for the program and said, oh, we're doing the radio program. And she thought she was talking to me on their program. And so she said she talked to them for like an hour or hour and a half, whatever, took calls and the whole nine and things ended. And I got in touch with her uh, once the program concluded because I did not speak with her. And she said, uh, yeah, you, I thought you called. And I said, no, I didn't call. And she said, what? Somebody else called? And I thought I was doing your program, and that wasn't the case. And I said, apparently so. And she said, whoa, that is so crazy. I can't believe that happened. And I said, well, I can believe it because that is not the first time that that has happened where we were sabotaged, uh, where we attempted to call our guests, get in touch with our guests for the program and someone else had called them at the exact time that our broadcast was supposed to go live and they thought that they were talking to Gus with the cows and they were not um I guess it could happen but I'm very suspicious uh the last time that happened was with Cynthia McKinney um just to make sure that's on the record she remembered it that was the first thing that she said today before we went live is how crazy I can't believe that happened that is so that is so weird and I said that context of white supremacy that is the sort of thing i expect especially when it's extremely constructive information that she shared today uh the address uh, for their site again blackmidwives.org i put it in the chat room several times blackmidwives.org check out the site they have lots of links resources uh just great info um whether you have children or not you should check out the site and encourage other black people to visit the site and read the material. Life-saving information for sure. Um, all New York, glad <laughs> to hear uh, from everybody. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I was in poor spirits, but this uh, I'm feeling a little better now. Uh, we will be back on uh, Thursday. Yes, we'll be back Thursday evening, same program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Thursday, May 10th. Thank you so much for calling in, sharing. Good to hear from everyone. Uh, invest if you think the program is constructive. Listen to Erica Badu if you're not feeling well. Works for me generally. We will be back soon. Take excellent care of yourselves. Be mindful of what you eat. Be mindful of what you're thinking. Thought diet and food diet, extremely important. We will be back soon. Context of white supremacy signing out. Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. Oh. Hmm.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.